Hi, this is John Lewis, and we're jumping into the third podcast in a series I'm calling uh, A Room Called Hope. And we're building a room kind of wall by wall. Last week, uh, last session, we introduced the idea of hope as a universal experience. We defined it as the expectation that someone or something will bring about for us a good, happy, or better future. As you can tell, this is something more than just, hey, I hope you have a good day, uh, that, and that there are levels of hope, you know, from casual, uh, short-term to long-term and deeper. You know, kids have hopes that uh, Santa Claus will bring them a present or that their, their parents will provide them food. Uh, we have hopes from the beginning of our life into the present. And because it's so universally important to life, to carrying on in hard times, um, uh, to just live the life of, of joy, um, then it's no wonder that Christians, Jesus followers, are uh, invited and commanded by God to have hope. And our hope is a little bit different, similar but different. Our hope is that 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 we have an expectation that God will and uh, bring about His kingdom uh, in our future. So we have the source of our hope is God. He's our great king and that he will one day bring about this amazing future kingdom of God. So last week we talked about uh, how we can trust God as the source of our hope, that every hope has a source. This is our first wall in the room called hope. And so for us, it's the deeds of God in the past. We see that in the Old Testament in Jesus, his resurrection um, that now provides a hope for us. And so today, with Jesus as the source of our hope, we're going to take a closer look at what is the nature of our hope? What is this hope that we are trusting God will bring about. And we should probably just say that we're not starting with a blank slate by any mean. I grew up in a you know, in a time in America where the you know, the American dream was, you know, a significant assumption that I would graduate from college, that I would have a better life maybe than my parents did, that I would that I would have the good life. And this has been woven into the American experience for hundreds of years from our founding that somehow the life for our kids and the future generations would be better and better. And people were willing to make sacrifices towards that that dream and that hope. But I think we, you know, it's safe to say in the last generation, um, in the uh, kind of the riots of the 1960s and even in 2020 and all that's been happening and a lot in between that there's been an erosion of hope in the institutions and the ability for America to bring about this kind of hoped for experience, um, this better and better. And and the Bible kind of reminds us that don't be surprised, you know, over and over. The, you know, it says things like in Proverbs, the expectation, the hope of the wicked will perish. The Psalm 37 and Psalm 73, why do the wicked prosper now? Well, when you go into the temple of God, when you see things from his perspective, when you look into the future from God's viewpoint, their hope will perish. Their their life will uh, turn upside down. And so Paul, in, in sharing the gospel, says, hey, remember, uh, this is in Ephesians, remember that you at one time were separate from Christ, and when you were, you had no hope without God. And so no wonder then um, the, the Bible puts hope as a part of the gospel, 
that when we had no hope, that part of the good news of Jesus was, yes, the forgiveness of sins, and yes, so much more, but at the center of it was, as Colossians says, there was a hope laid up for us in heaven, which we heard when we heard the gospel. And so if you think about... um, the gospel and hope being woven together, then it's not a surprise that the scripture also says over and over that our hope has something to do with salvation. It's not just about, you know, prosperity, getting something bigger or better, that our life will go well while we're here. Uh, no, no, it's for, it is a promise that we will be rescued, that we will be saved. The psalmist says, I hope for your salvation. Uh, he says, hope in the Lord for with him is abundant redemption, abundant salvation. And the New Testament continues that theme. You know, for, uh, Paul in Corinthians says, he will deliver us on whom we have set our hope. But what's different about the New Testament compared to the Old Testament and really about culture in general is that because now in the resurrection of Jesus, our hope is not just in this life. In fact, it's not primarily in this life. It's after we die. Over and over, the hope that's promised has to do with what happens after we die. We are children of God. We are heirs, right? So we inherit this hope of eternal life, but we inherit it after we die. I mean, certainly there are benefits here and now, but the number one hope, the number one vision that God has for us, you know, of heaven, and we'll talk about that in a moment, has to do with when we rise from the dead, like Jesus did. And that's our hope anchor, that he rose from the dead, will rise from the dead, and then we become heirs of this uh, resurrection life. Um, and that, so, so when we think about the nature of this hope that we will have, that gospel promises after we die, what does it look like? And I, I suppose if you asked a uh, hundred people on the streets today, and it could be in the church, I suppose, as well. Do you believe in heaven? And what do you think it'll be like? You'll get a lot of different answers. You could probably YouTube it to get an idea. And so it's helpful for us to, to go, what does the Bible say? And, and the Bible has bits and pieces of this, especially in the New Testament, but it's dense, it's condensed in the book of Revelation. And so we're just going to briefly touch on what, what does the book of Revelation say about this hope that we have of heaven and, and life um, after we are raised from the dead? The first is, is that there will be a judgment. If, uh, there will be a clearing out of the enemy. You imagine that you're, a, uh, you're living in World War II era, for example, and the Germans have occupied France, you know, and you're living in France. And your hope is that one day your life will be restored, but you know that the first step will be that the Germans will have to be, you know, the occupying army will have to be removed and conquered. And so in a very real way, Revelation spends a lot of time talking about how the beast and the dragon are overthrown. There's the bowls, the seals, the trumpets that all bring judgment upon the earth and and especially upon the leaders um, of evil. And so that's a less popular part of the story. And it's not super popular to say that actually a lot of us um, as Christians, we will not be exempt from that suffering. We're going to walk through it together. But our hope that what helps us to endure is that the enemy is being conquered. That's phase one. The other phase, again, is that life can, um, with the enemy gone, become all that God intended it to be. And in Revelation 21 and 22, the first few verses, there's some beautiful images that kind of point to this mysterious, 
awesome, indescribable life that God has for us. One of them is the issue that um, the, the image that heaven um, comes down to earth as the new Jerusalem. It comes as a city, the best of the city, right? And this new Jerusalem is described later in chapter 21 as the temple, where God is the light. God is, Jesus is at the center of it. And everything uh, around the gates and uh, the walls are all like the original temple on multi-million steroids. It's bigger. It's The gates are open for all to enter. And in the middle of this is a garden. In the middle of the temple is the Garden of Eden on steroids as well. Uh, that there are trees on both sides uh, of a great river bearing fruit all year long and its leaves are healing not just Adam and Eve, but the nations are being involved. So what we have here is the Bible starts in a garden, you know, but it ends in a city. It ends <clears throat> with a garden in the center of that city. Um, and then there's this wonderful image of the bride and you get a sense that the, that heaven begins and maybe continues in the spirit of a wedding, and that all of God's people are woven together as God's bride. And of course, God the groom, you know, Christ is the groom whom we are marrying. And so you have this idea that God is not only the source of our hope, which we talked about last week, he's footing the bill for the wedding, so to speak, but it's also that he's at the center of heaven. It's not that he's giving us this good life and watching from the, from the grandstands. He's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of this wedding. And so our hope is a person. Over and over, the Bible says, Jeremiah is my favorite. You know, you, O hope of Israel, you're my hope. Blessed is the one whose hope is the Lord. Not that the Lord will give me a good future devoid of him. No, he is my hope. He's at the center of it. And so, dear friends, we have... Um, these images that remind us that because God in some ways covenanted with us and was our, our bride way before heaven, because the temple was built long before heaven, because the garden was the starting of our story, we're reminded that our future hope is the extension of an incredible story that we've been a part of um, for uh, God's people have been woven into, all people are woven into from the beginning of time. And so no wonder that there are so many references in the book of Revelation to the Old and the New Testament. It is the continuation of the story. And at the same time, it's beyond our story. It's a chapter that will make us uh, experience and, and, uh, and wonder and delight in ways that are similar, but on steroids, multi-million steroids in heaven. And so, dear friends, I hope that this review, as well as this exploring briefly of the second wall of our room of hope, the nature of our hope, that the gospel proclaims that after we die, and one day when we're raised from the dead, that we will enter into this heaven. But notice that this heaven comes to earth. Last point here is this not something that we go to, but heaven comes to earth and it makes all things new. It restores like an old car that was rusty in someone's garage, completely renewed. We hardly recognize it. And yet there it is. God promises that that's the movement you know, of hope. That's what, that all things will be restored. The story will come to a wonderful and beautiful end. And so friends, that is what gives us hope. Christ, our source of our hope, Christ at the center of it, allows us then to look squarely in the face of difficulty and despair and disappointment and say, 
we can persevere because we have put our hope in him. Be blessed, friends. This is a great gift. Until next time, God bless you, and may your hope be in Christ and his heaven coming to earth one day.